Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Um, grateful for uh, Joe's introduction and that we can uh, be together. Uh, greetings from Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, it's a beautiful morning here, um, and I am delighted to have my good friend Marek uh, uh, with me. Um, uh, Marek uh, opens his home uh, to me when I'm in Jackson, and that's uh, where I stay. Uh, when I'm up in Jackson on Tuesday night and uh, Wednesday night, uh, typically, and and now Mark's uh, in Fairhope, and he's joined us this morning. So I'm glad to have him uh, with me on the patio. Um, and uh, this morning, um, as we begin, I wanted to offer you a song, and uh, it really ties in um, to um, my um, grieving process um, in my uh, loss of Duke. Um, some of you know that uh, two weeks ago uh, today, I, I had to take Duke in and um, I had to put him down. Uh, he was, uh, uh, could hardly walk and, you know, uh, lots of people, lots of you uh, have uh, experienced the loss of a pet, uh, of a dog. And, um, so um, Thursday, uh, we put him down, uh, and then Friday, uh, we drove to Dallas to get Audrey, my oldest daughter, set up in her uh, new living situation. And on Saturday morning in Dallas, I sat down um, in my journal, and uh, I wrote a goodbye letter uh, to Duke. Um, and that was an important part of my healing, and I think I've, I've recommended it to many, many people through the years. And um, I hope that you'll go to our website um, and read the blog that I posted this past Sunday, uh, uh, Gain from Losses, and incorporated in that blog is the goodbye letter um, that I wrote to Duke. Um, meaningful to me, um, and part of that uh, journey, um, I uh, listened to a song, and it's part of the blog, and I wanted to play the song for you this morning. And uh, this is a, a song that Vince Gill wrote uh, when his brother died. And the video that I'm going to show you, and, and, and I hope everybody that's listening to this can see the video, um, is Vince Gill and Patty Loveless performing this song at George Jones, the possum's funeral. Very powerful. May you hear the voice of God as we listen to this song. It's great to hear Charlie Daniels talk about the high spirit of his belief. And Barbara also mentioned those shoes. It's my belief they don't make those shoes anymore. Weren't afraid to fail 
face the devil You were no stranger to the man Go rest high on that mountain on earth is done Father and 
Vince Gill and Patty Loveless, ladies and gentlemen, both members of the Grand Ole Opry. And amen, amen, amen. Um, that that song and that video, uh, there's shorter versions of that, uh, uh, but I wanted you to see that particular version, and it was a little bit longer than uh, uh, normal, but uh, man, that's so powerful. And, and uh, again, I, I hope you'll go back and read my blog on uh, our website, uh, hardenlife.com and uh, just read the blog uh, Gain from Loss um, and incorporated in that is my uh, goodbye letter uh, to my dog, uh, Duke. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16.13. Act like a man. Uh, as we continue through uh, the wilderness, uh, the pandemic, uh, the virus plague, COVID-19, on and on are the labels for where we are. Uh, but what's most important is being able to identify where we are in our hearts. Um, as the Apostle Paul prayed uh, for the Ephesians, may you see with the eyes of your heart, uh, was the very phrase that he used. And uh, may you see um, this morning with the eyes of your heart. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. I believe that. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? See with the eyes of our heart. In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. It's like we go blind spiritually, emotionally, even physically. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons Let's journey together, and that's what we're doing. And this morning, um, we're looking at wisdom for the journey. Uh, and as Joe mentioned in his introduction, uh, we're going to kind of go through uh, what I shared last week that didn't get uh, posted uh, with just a couple of uh, uh, fine-tunings and um, alterations. 
But this is such a powerful um, passage that we're going to look at um, in Exodus 18. And um, the principles uh, that I wanted you, know, you to be aware of that we're going to do a, a redo uh, from last week. So pick up your pen. I have uh, three questions for you. And let's go to work. First question who is your mentor, coach, father, wise counselor for wilderness challenges? Who is the person that you call, that you sit with? And, and I hope since we started this process and, and, and we've all had challenges through this uh, pandemic, that you've actually sought out uh, for wise counsel. Um, you know, one of the reasons that our wives are oftentimes fearful of any situation is they don't believe that we, as husbands and fathers, are getting input from others. They don't trust us. And so oftentimes the reason they don't trust us is because we have made impulsive decisions apart from wise counsel. I've never heard a wife say to me, you know, I'm so mad at my husband because he seeks counsel from older wise men, from fathers who care for him. I've never heard that. Fearful wives, no counsel. Um, I've got um, a man that I'm working with right now that is trying to heal from the abusive father that he had. He didn't have a wise counselor. He had an abusive tyrant for a father. He wasn't all bad any more than any one person is completely bad. But he's trying to recover um, from the wounds that his father gave him, inflicted. He needs to be fathered. And then I would just say along those lines that what drives addiction issues is the lack of a wise voice in many of our heads. Um, that if addicts stood up at AA and rather than say, hello, my name is Phil and I'm an alcoholic, many, many of them could even stand up, I believe, and say, hello, my name is Phil and I have deep, deep father wounds that need to be healed or I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life. Who do you have? Second question that I would ask you is this, for whom are you a wise counselor? Who may be better said because, you know, I understand that, that you may be uncomfortable with wise counselor, but maybe a better way to ask that question is, who do you really care for? Who, who are you reaching out to during this time? People need your voice in their lives. We've often said that you never really grow until you get out of your self-absorbed narcissism and begin to care for another person even take responsibility for another person, and certainly our children, drives us into a different level of manhood because now we have somebody that we really, truly are responsible for. 
And then the third question that I would ask you, who do you know that's in the wilderness? And as we've continued to say, we all are. But you might really take a minute and, and, and ask God to bring to mind who's really hurting right now. And I guarantee there are people in your life and my life that are within uh, touchable distance, uh, even in this uh, social distancing uh, sort of season. People that we can reach out to, call, um, sit with, that need our voice. So, wisdom for the journey. I you to turn over uh, to our passage for the day, uh, and that is Exodus uh, chapter 18. Um, Exodus uh, chapter 18, the uh, children of Israel uh, uh, continue um, in the um, wilderness. Uh, again, God's obviously brought them through uh, the Red Sea. Uh, they've had episodes with water issues and food issues. Uh, God has resolved those. They've even had a battle. They've had to fight the Amalekites. And God, in, in this is less than three months into their journey. I mean, they've not even been in the wilderness 90 days at this point. Um, and something happens in this passage that helps us to understand that not only is God building his people, he's using this wilderness to... Um, develop his family, the family of God, the children of Israel. But maybe more importantly, at least for today, he's building a man. He's building Moses. And how he's building Moses um, comes out of this passage. Follow with me as we read Ezekiel 18. Jethro, a priest of Midian and father-in-law to Moses, heard the report of all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people, the news that God had delivered Israel from Egypt. Now, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. He was a Midianite priest. Um, and Midian is out of the family of Abraham. Now, what's interesting about the Edom, um, Edomites, the Amalekites, all of them, these are all kind of cousins, if you will. Um, it's like these are all descendants from Abraham and uh, Esau. Um, and so it's no wonder that there's this kind of tribal um, uh, intensity um, and uh, battle for power going on. And so Jethro was a Midianite um, that was descended from Abraham. So it's like cousins several generations back. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, who had been sent back home and her two sons. The name of uh, the one was Gershom, sojourner or journeyer, for he had said, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, God's help, because the God of my father is my help and saved me from death by Pharaoh. So Moses had two sons. Uh, one, uh, his name meant journey, a journeyer, and the other meant God's help. God helps us. 
Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought Moses' his sons and his wife there in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. He had sent a message ahead to Moses. I, your father-in-law, am coming to you with your wife and two sons. Wow! You know, Moses gets to see his, his sons. He gets to see his wife after all he's been through. Great time of celebration. And again, verse 7, Moses went out to welcome his father-in-law. He bowed to him and kissed him. Each asked the other how things had been with him. And then they went into the tent. They went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law the story of all that God had done to Pharaoh in Egypt in helping Israel, all the trouble they had experienced on the journey, and how God had delivered them. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that tent. Wow, the celebration. Can you imagine Moses trying to paint the picture for his two sons of the Red Sea parting and the Egyptian army uh, drowning by the hand of God? And all that had happened, and he's telling his father-in-law, he's telling his wife, his two sons, what a time telling a story. I sat recently with a family who is dealing with addiction. And I said, you know, what has to happen is that your son who is struggling with addiction, he's got to tell his story. And they said, well, what do you mean he's got to tell his story? I said, well, I said, behind ever, every addiction is a story. And What's important is not getting him to stop drinking. Again, in AA, we, we just call that a dry drunk. He stopped drinking. Glad he stopped drinking. But in order to really uh, bring healing, you've got to tell the story of what's driving that addiction. And Moses is telling the story. Moses is telling the story. And it's interesting in this family, they asked me, they said, well, how do we get him to tell his story? I said, well, um, what you got to do is get him in around a campfire. Uh, take him up to your deer camp. Do you have a deer camp? And, and, and the dad said, oh, yeah, we got a deer camp. I said, I knew you had a deer camp. Of course you got a deer camp. They were from Mississippi, by the way. So, you know, you can't live in Mississippi unless you have access to a deer camp. And, uh, and they said, well, how do we get him to tell his story? I said, well, the first thing you don't do is you don't ask questions. If you start asking questions, he's just going to freeze up. But I said, the way you get somebody to tell their story is you start telling stories. You start telling his story. You start telling your story. You tell stories. And stories are the very way that Jesus began to minister to the hearts of his disciples. They even asked him, Jesus, why do you tell stories? Parables. And it's because stories capture our heart. Stories beget stories. Stories create an energy that connect us to ourselves and to others. And this is what was happening in the tent. And then watch what happens that Jethro does. Jethro was delighted in all the good that God had done for Israel in delivering them from Egyptian oppression. Now, guys, don't miss what's going on here. This is, this is really amazing. You know who Jethro was? Again, he was a high, he was a priest in the Midianite tribe. Now, that's a very pagan tribe. Even though he had come from the lineage of Abraham, by now uh, 
most of those tribes were doing child sacrifices, uh, uh, sacrificial uh, 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 to gods of all shapes and sizes, to nature, and even having sexual sort of orgies as, as a way of worship. It was very pagan. And there's no reason to think that Jethro somehow wasn't a part of that as a priest, because that's what most of those tribes were doing. And now he comes, and he has heard what the God of Israel has done for his son-in-law and for the children of Israel. And then he hears Moses' story, and he praises the God of Israel. That's amazing. Jethro said, blessed be God who has delivered you from the power of Egypt and Pharaoh, who has delivered his people from the oppression of Egypt. Now I know that God, again, now, that, now I know that the God of Israel is what he's saying, is greater than all gods because he's done this to all those who treated Israel arrogantly. That is amazing for a priest, a Midianite priest. The next day, or Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a whole burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron, along with all the elders of Israel, came and ate the meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And the next day, Moses took his place to judge the people. People were standing before him all day long from morning to night. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What's going on here? Why are you doing all this? and all by yourself, letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. So Jethro celebrated what God had done for Moses and how Moses had, had led up to that point. But now Jethro gets some insight into what Moses was doing that was not going to work long term. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me with questions about God, when something comes up, they come to me, they come to me, they come to me, they come to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and teach them God's laws and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law spoke wise counsel. He said, again, where do you go for wise counsel? Moses said, they come to me, they come to me, they come to me. And this is what Jethro said, this is no way to go about it. <laughs> Nothing like hearing from your father-in-law. Now, when I hear that phrase, it makes me think of my father-in-law. Papa Jean is what we called him. And this is, I don't have time to tell the long version of the story, but after Carla and I uh, uh, first visit Papa Jean, after I walked out of a hot August heat hayfield and quit on him about halfway through the day, he told Carla Sue, and he always called Carla by her double name, he said, Carla Sue? I guess you married a panty waist. And so my father-in-law, that's what he called me for the rest of my days because I had earned that label by walking out of that hayfield. So Jethro says, Moses, he didn't call him a panty waist, but he said, this ain't no way to do it. You'll burn out and the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Underline that. You can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how to do this so that God will be in this with you. Be there for the people before God, but let the matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions to show them how to live 
what to do. Now, by the way, um, Moses started doing that. And the way we know he started doing that is because of the, of the book of Deuteronomy. Did you know that the book of Deuteronomy is really just one big sermon, one big instructional manual of how to live by Moses? It's, it's, it's not like divided up into chapters in the sense of uh, it took Moses days to do this. It's one big sermon. It is the teaching manual that Moses left after Jethro gave him that instruction. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible, and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. They'll be responsible for the everyday work of judging among the people. They'll bring the hard cases to you, but in the routine cases, they'll be the judges. They will share your load. They will share your load. They will share the load, and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work um, this way, if you handle the work this way, you'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you, and the people in their settings will flourish also. Moses, you need to delegate. You need to train men. You need to train men. Some can lead a thousand. Some can lead a hundred. Some can lead fifty. Some can lead ten. Different levels of integrity and competency, but find men in, of integrity. I learned from Howard Hendricks years ago: you're not a leader unless you have somebody following. <laughs> a leader with no followers is just a man sitting by himself. Who follows you? Who do you take responsibility for? Who are you training? Moses had to begin to train men. Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses picked competent men from all Israel and led them as leaders over the people who were organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. They took over the everyday work of judging among the people. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but in the routine cases, they were, they were the judges. And then Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who went home to his own country. Wow. Wise counsel, even the counsel from a father-in-law. I've heard so many stories of men uh, who have been fathered uh, more by their father-in-law um, than their own biological father, but we need wise counsel. What God did in Moses' life, he did it through a father. We never outgrow our need for a father. On your notes there, you need a father. I've seen it happen. Um, at our men's coaching weekends where the group becomes the father to one hurting man. I've seen older men take under their wing younger men. It's a powerful thing. But what we always say is you never outgrow your need for a father. We need to be fathered. So who's in your life that speaks into your life? And then secondly, you need experienced godly men. I mean, guys who've been through the battle, who've been there, who have fought well and overcome addictions, uh, childhood wounds, who have done their work. Never trust a wise counselor who's never done their work because they ain't. They ain't. And then finally, this idea of you need wise counsel. Who is that in your life? Who is that? 
I, I would really identify that. It's a critical uh, element of the journey that I know that I've got men that I can go to. A man, a group of men. I'm going to show you a clip um, this morning out of uh, Major Dick Winter's uh, life. We've used this whole Band of Brothers, Easy Company, uh, as kind of our case study of Into the Wilderness. I mean, these guys were really into the wilderness. They were in the middle of war. And their leader was quite a man. I want you to watch this short clip, Major Dick Winters, and be mindful of what he says right toward the end. Watch this. Good leader has to understand the people that are under him, understand their, their needs, their, their desires, or how they think a little bit. It seemed like he always made the right decisions along the way. He was a real soldier. Like some of the, some of the officers, uh, I don't think I'd follow them in the water. But uh, he was he was one of the best. He went right in there, and he didn't know. Uh, he never thought of not being first or sending somebody in his place. I don't know how he survived. But he did. Second platoon, listen up. Good luck. God bless you. I'll see you in the assembly area. my grandson asked me the other day when he said grandpa were you a hero in the war grandpa said no but I served in the company of heroes I love that clip. And again, just uh, Major Dick Winters, you know, so much has been written about him and said about him, but man, 
you know, through the conversation with his grandson. And his grandson says, uh, Grandpa, um, were you a hero? And Dick Winters, in a in a just a wise, kingly, sage type way, he just says, "No, son, I wasn't a hero, but I served with a group of men who were heroes." The humility, um, very powerful. We need those men in our life. And this whole passage implies. Um, that God was building a man, not just a people. And he was building Moses, and he was taking Moses through his many developmental hoops as he was the children of Israel. I mean, Moses was a man who God was developing all along. The book um, that, that I want to alert you to if you're not already exposed to it is a book by John Eldridge entitled Fathered by God. And what he does in that book is he goes through the six developmental stages of what it means to become a man. I, I would strongly encourage you to get the book. I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically just going to touch on them this morning. I have just a few minutes and you know, the Fathered by God is 250 pages of what it means uh, to become a man. And there's six stages that Eldridge develops in this book. The idea of the boy, the idea of the cowboy or ranger, the idea of the warrior, and then the last three, lover, king, sage the developmental process. You're not going to get there without wise counsel, and you're not going to be healthy unless these foundational pieces are developed in your life according to each stage. Now, again, the boy stage is typically 1 to 11 years old, and what happens is that the boy experiences the delight and he develops his imagination during this time, that what you want him to hear over and over is, I, am, I think you're special. I love you. I care about you. Man, you are so talented. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then, and then the son says, I want to be Batman. I want to be Superman. In the, in the harshness that might be, the response to that, oh, you, that's silly. You're not going to be Batman. Dude, that just kills the vision. But so oftentimes, you know who develops the boy um, principles in us and delights in us? So oftentimes it's not even a father. You know who it is? Our grandfather. Our grandfather. So powerful. It's so, you know, you know. again, many of us are, are fathers in our 20s and our 30s with these young boys, and we're so caught up in all that we're trying to do to provide, and we miss the opportunity to give the sense of delight and develop imagination in young boys. Grandfathers can do that. And guys, those of you who are grandfathers, man, you've got a great opportunity. Don't miss it. And then this idea 
of uh, cowboy. Again, this is the uh, age between typically uh, 12 to 22. And this, this is the time that adventure and testing happens. It's like, man, I need to know that I've got what it takes. And so you begin to develop a, a, a sense of training and discipline and ability. And I have some degree of competency, whether it be I can, I can swim a, a, a mile or I can climb a mountain, I can do a trip in Europe, um, whatever it is. But there's some sense of training and adventure. And then this idea of warrior and and by the by the very name again this is ages uh, um, uh, 23 um, to 35 or so and this is where we start learning to fight not fight with but fight for it's so sad to me how many young men between the ages of 23 and 35 especially those who are young husbands they don't know how to fight for they fight with They've never learned to fight. This idea, again, about about the same age, um, in overlaps uh, with being a um, uh, warrior, is this idea of a lover. And it's during this time that a man, a true man, really begins to understand intimacy. That that he begins to understand beauty and mystery, not, not just beauty of a woman. I mean, wonderful. I mean, there's no doubt that God's way of showing his beauty is through the beauty of a woman. Nothing on the planet is more beautiful than a woman. Nothing. And yet a true lover begins to understand that it's not a woman that I need, it's true beauty and mystery, and I begin to understand what intimacy really looks like, knowing and being known. And then this idea of a king, um, the idea of a king being 45 to 65, and what's most important in terms of a king is power. But man, power, not for yourself, but power for the sake of others. And I'm telling you, during this time of end of the wilderness, how much are we seeing the power being abused and it not being for the sake of others? A true king is concerned in how he can use his power for the sake of another. It's not about his power. It's about others. And, of course, King Saul was the one who abused that so much. King David was the one who taught us about power for the other. And then finally, this idea of a sage, and this is 65 plus, and, and this is characterized by wisdom, that during this stage you might have less responsibility, but your influence is actually increased. And your, in, uh, your influence is great relative to uh, your wisdom, your integrity, your good name. doesn't mean that you're without sin, but you've acknowledged and you've worked through your broken mistakes. 
and there's great humility during the stage. And here's the primary issue with a true sage. He points you to God. He points you to God. Who points you to God? Wisdom for the journey. God has given us fathers. And those fathers may not be your biological father, may be your father-in-law like Moses, may be a group of men, but those men help you go through the developmental stages of boy, cowboy, warrior, lover, king, and sage. May you receive the wisdom from God for the journey ahead. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for your love for us and your resources that you put in our lives. And I pray that we would draw from what you've given us in a way that would grow us up to be the mature, godly men that you called us to be. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.